0: last words where some people think that Jesus has a demon and others marvel that a man could do such a thing as heal a blind man and so there's no way that a person like that could have a demon um, those words are very telling about how people respond to Jesus when they hear the shepherd's voice some people hear the voice of a lunatic Some people hear the voice, uh, to them it sounds positively evil because it contradicts so many of their assumptions. And to other people, it's the voice of the shepherd. It's the voice of the Lord. C.S. Lewis famously said, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must, take, you must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with anything, any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Jesus' words demand response. They demand um, that people are identified one way or the other. And there are those who hear his voice and respond immediately. There are those who hear and ponder. And then later the Lord gives them faith. There are those that reject him outright. But the beautiful thing is that this good shepherd is always calling his sheep. He is always leading them. And not only that, but he has laid down his life for those sheep and taken it up again. So we're going to just uh, meditate on the words of Jesus. He says twice in this passage, I am the good shepherd. And that is really the theme. Last week we uh, kind of circled around the theme of Jesus being the good shepherd because we, we talked mostly about the doors and the, the sheepfold and what those doors represent. Remember that the, uh, the shepherd would come to the door of the sheepfold and he would call his sheep and the sheep his sheep, which were in this community sheepfold, would hear him and those who recognized his voice would come. And Jesus went a step further and says he, he calls them by name and the sheep come. Um, so that first door, that there is a door that allows the shepherd access and the porter or the, that's where my name occurs in the scripture in the King James anyway, the porter opens the door or the gatekeeper opens the door and it is only to a shepherd that he recognizes and that is qualified that he opens the door. So that first door is a, is the uh, necessity that the the shepherd be a true shepherd, that the shepherd be someone who is qualified to enter that door and call his sheep, and Jesus qualified in every way as the good shepherd, um, being a man who lived without sin and died without sin, and um, and set a, a perfect example for us and. Um, so, so uh, everything that was required of the good shepherd, that is the Messiah, was fulfilled in Jesus. We also saw that there is a door through which the sheep exit. And it is necessary in order for salvation that those sheep exit that fold. That fold is Judaism. That fold is uh, a religion that is separate from true faith in Jesus Christ. And that follows would willingly follow another shepherd. So the sheep have to exit that through that door. Um, exit from the, the bondage of the law or the bondage of sin. And Jesus says, as we'll get to in this passage, there's another fold. There's other sheep that are not of this fold. Jesus did not come to maintain the fold that the Jewish people were already in. And to, to kind of buttress Judaism and, and keep everybody in that fold. He called people out of that fold, just as he calls people out of other folds and brings them together into his sheepfold, which is the church. It is the people of God. And then there is one other door, the door through which the sheep enter and are saved. And Jesus is that door. I am the door of the sheep, he says. Um, I'll just read that passage. Uh, If I can find it here. I am the door. If anyone enters by me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is the only door of salvation. We have many doors spoken of in scripture. Uh, there was one door in the ark and that door was open as long as grace was extended and that door was shut. God opened the door. God shut the door. In the Revelation we read about a a door that no man can shut. Uh, and that is also referring to Jesus. Well, that is the door of salvation. Now, today we're going to look more specifically at Jesus' teaching about himself as the Good Shepherd. And as we go through these verses, we're going to see several things here. First of all, we're going to see the Good Shepherd's commitment. And we're going to see that in verses 11 through 13. We're going to also see the Good Shepherd's Communion. And I'm not talking about eating bread and drinking grape juice. I'm talking about the, the common union that Jesus has with his Father, that Jesus has with his sheep and his sheep with Jesus, and then the common union that um, the sheep have with each other because of Jesus. So that's in verses 14 and 15. And then we're going to see Uh, The Good Shepherd's call, and we talked about this call somewhat last time, but this irresistible call, uh, that when he calls, his sheep come, and whether of his own fold or of another fold, they come, and there will be one sheep, one, one flock, and one shepherd, and we're also going to see the Good Shepherd's choice, the fact that Jesus chose to lay down his life for the sheep. It wasn't something he was coerced to do. It wasn't a conspiracy of circumstances or evil men, although there were evil men and circumstances involved. All of this was Jesus' own choice. It was his plan from the beginning in union with the Father. We're also going to see the Good Shepherd's charge. And this is the last sentence of uh, verse 19, I believe it is, or 18, it says, This charge have I received from the Father. So not only was it Jesus' um, own decision, and he complete, was completely willing, and nobody took his life, and no one, uh, no one and, and he took, he laid down his life, he took it up again of his own free will, of his own power. We also see that it is the shep- shepherd, Jesus, is charged by his father to do this. So there is not only autonomy, but also obedience of this good shepherd. And then we will um, just conclude with with the reaction of the people. So let's go down to the the good shepherd's commitment. Now, if you've ever had bacon and eggs, you understand something about commitment. Uh, There are a lot of people really committed to bacon, but that's not what I mean. The hen makes a contribution. She pops out an egg and uh, no real great harm to herself, and she keeps laying eggs, and it, it, it doesn't hurt her at all. This is just part of her normal life, and that's her contribution. The, uh, the hen, or pardon me, the, the, the pig, makes commitment. The pig lays down his life. And it's not a very good picture of the the kind of commitment Jesus made because the pig is completely unwilling and probably squealing like everything, but Jesus um, when we talk about commitment in, in its greatest sense this is what we mean. One who would lay down his lives for his friends. And in Jesus' case one who would lay down his life for his enemies. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So, Jesus says here in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, just back of this, he's talking about the thieves and robbers. But we're not going to hear much about thieves and robbers today. We're going to hear about other Shepherds who are under-shepherds or hirelings. They're people who are um, laborers that don't own the sheep. And they do their job as long as things are going well. But when things get tough, they take off. So it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So you have a contrast here between the good shepherd, the worthy shepherd, the qualitatively superior shepherd, the noble shepherd, the powerful shepherd, and the, all others who are entrusted with caring the sheep. Now, Jesus may be referring here to the Pharisees who are in the audience who are giving guidance, spiritual guidance to Israel. It's not necessar- necessarily that necessary that he is. Um, he may be just constructing uh, a foil so that he can show show the difference of a true shepherd and someone who is merely um, merely given temporary oversight, as most of Israel's spiritual leaders were. Uh, but the point is these hirelings these hired hands they don't own the sheep there is no investment in them when it says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep there are some pictures we have to get out of our mind immediately one is uh, that Jesus stretched out his arms and he says Jesus stretched out his arms, and he says, I love you this much, and he stretched out his arms and died. Jesus didn't die merely to demonstrate to us how much he loved us. There's a lot of people who have died because they loved someone, and we're willing to demonstrate that. There are a lot of people who died have died for Jesus. Because of Jesus, because of their love for Him. But Jesus' death, though it was a death that was done completely in love, that was not the uniqueness of Jesus' death. It was not the purpose of Jesus' death. When it says that He lays down, the Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep, that means He lays down His life in their place. It means He lays down His life because unless he laid down his life, they would lay down their lives. It, you know, there are, were many shepherds in Bible times, and, uh, ex, except for well, we have, we have a, a sanitized image of shepherds uh, w- which we can blame on all of those pictures of, of Jesus, you know, with his the little lamb and all these genteel pictures but uh, the real shepherd lived out in the the elements, the real shepherd like the shepherd David uh, fought off wild animals, Uh, it was a rough lifestyle and a good shepherd would sacrifice his life but probably most of the shepherds, if it came down to them or the sheep, they would gladly leave their sheep and take off. But Jesus is completely invested in these sheep. He says, the shepherd, the hired hand, does not own the sheep. We have already seen that the Father has given those sheep to the Son. Thine they were, and you gave them to me. Um, the, The sheep didn't choose him on their own. They were given to the son by the father. So, these sheep belong to him, and though he has not yet physically died, he is saying, I am going to lay down my life for the sheep. It's not, I might lay down my life for the sheep if circumstances warrant it, I must lay down my life for the sheep, or the sheep will be lost. So, the hireling, The hired hand, when he sees the wolf, he flees from the wolf. And the wolf scatters, snatches them and scatters them. In contrast with the hired hand, I would refer you to the passage that we read earlier today from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead Our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the the sheep. Now this this is important to get this because we have the great shepherd and yet at the same time he is one of the sheep. A very unique sheep, a very unique lamb, a lamb unlike any other lamb, a lamb truly without blemish. A lamb completely uh, completely qualified to be the Passover lamb, the sacrifice for sin, <coughs> whose blood was spread upon the doorpost, so that the angel of death could not destroy whoever, whoever was in the house protected by that blood. So Jesus is at once the shepherd and the sacrificial lamb. And it says here, by the blood of the eternal covenant, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, his own blood, he will equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in the sight, through Christ Jesus, to whom we glory forever and ever. Amen. So that is the good shepherd's commitment. He laid down his life, not as a mere moral example not as a mere demonstration of love but as an act that was fundamentally necessary to redeem his own sheep from death from the penalty that they would be paying on their own if he didn't pay it secondly let's look at the good shepherd's communion now I thought of different things that started with letter C um, for this point. I, I thought of the Good Shepherd's connections, and that didn't seem at all intimate enough. Uh, I was in a big seeker-friendly church in Portage la Prairie, Manitoba, and they talked about connecting was their big thing, getting people connected together. It, it's so cold. It's like uh, you know, t- uh, a coupling two. Fittings together, there's a connection, but there's there's no warmth, there's no unity. But in this in this passage here, I just want to read it, verse 14 and 15, it says, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I laid down my life and I laid down my life for the sheep. This is relationship. This is community. But it is beyond community, it is communion, common union, being one in spirit and purpose. We read, we studied in the very beginning of the Gospel of John. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that is perfect communion. And in fact it is beyond communion communion, that is union, right? Union is there's only one. And yet there's communion because the Father is not only one with the Son, but the Father and the Son are with one another. And the word with is facing. Uh, the, the word is, uh, has the idea of the word, was, the word was in the beginning was the word and the word was with God facing an interaction with the God and the Word was God. When it comes to our relationship with our Saviour, union is not something that is open to us. We will never be one with God in the sense that one with the Father or one with Christ in the sense that the Father and Son are one together. That is a unique uh, privilege of the God-man Jesus Christ. He is the only man who can be one with the Father in that way. However, we partake in the union of the Godhead. The Bible says we are in Christ. I want to read some verses that talk about this union. Um, First of all, just the, the, uh, the relationship between the Father and the Son, because this relationship is the model and is the base for our relationship with Jesus. John five nineteen it says, uh, so Jesus said to them, truly truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing, for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. So you have this idea of the word being with God. You have the idea of the father and the son beholding one another and carrying out the divine will, which is. Uh, Commanded by the Father and acted upon by the Son. And yet they are in complete harmony at all times, never at cross purposes. That is um, what we have presented for us there. So this, this union between the Father and Son is a deep relationship. The Father and the Son are beholding one another. Now, same chapter, John 5 verse 30, says, I can do nothing on my own. This is Jesus saying, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own, but the will of him who sent me. So here is the son listening to the father and relaying the father's thoughts, relaying the father's words, relaying the father's justice, and relying completely on him. Now, this is um, a picture of communion, of being one, and we need to understand that the love that is shared within the members of the, the Trinity is a love that is shed abroad in our hearts. And the, as the, one of the greatest evidences of us being in Christ is us loving one another. Loving Christ and loving one another as he loved us. In John 17, verses 20 to 23, this chapter has much to say about unity, of community, and of communion. John 17 verse 20, it says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, not just for the apostles, but everyone who will believe, including everybody who is sitting in this room, if you believe in the word of Jesus, that they may may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So, when we are in Christ, and when we are united in Christ, and when we have the mind of Christ, and when we have the Spirit of Christ, as a church, we are a testimony of the union, or pardon me, we are the testimony that the Father has sent the Son in the world. We are evidence, His Spirit living within us, Drawing us to perfect unity in Christ is evidence that Jesus really did come. This is a supernatural thing. The the union between the shepherd and his sheep is a supernatural thing. The way that we hear his voice, the way that we recognize his voice, the way that we tune out all other voices. When Christians truly live this way, The world has to take notice. They might hate us, but they have to take notice because it is so contrary from anything that exists, any kind of unity that exists in the world. It says, The glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Wow. Think about... The unity, the union between the Father and the Son. How one they are in spirit and in purpose. This is Christ's desire and prescription and prayer for his church. I'm not talking about taking sheep that are from different folds and schmucking them together and saying, Get along, And, and whatever causes you to disagree, throw that away. No, this is true union of all of those sheep who who hear the shepherd's voice. Um, And then it says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That is a good shepherd's communion. And what is it that brings this communion together? What is it that makes these sheep so uniquely one? It is the fact that the good shepherd, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus has laid down his life and taken it up again and sovereignly sovereignly called and drawn through his blood, through his death, through His Spirit, all the sheep to Himself." So that is the Good Shepherd's Communion. We're going to celebrate Communion in in a few minutes here. And what we are celebrating is Jesus laying down His life for the sheep. We are celebrating the fact that because we recognize the voice of Jesus, we are drawn together as one his sheep let's continue now with the good shepherd's call we've seen the good shepherd's commitment we've seen his communion now we're going to see the good shepherd's call verse 16 and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also so there will be one flock one shepherd so again we have this picture of Jesus standing at the door, the porter, the doorkeeper, the gatekeeper opening the door, and him calling his sheep specifically by name, not only out of the Israeli fold, but out of the Gentile fold, or Gentile folds, it doesn't say they're, they're not of this fold, but there could be a hundred other folds, Jesus is calling people out man centered religion and out of, uh, out of moralism and out of everything that doesn't save, and he's drawing them and calling them out to himself. He's standing at the door and his sheep hear his voice. We, we read about this in verses 3 to 5. It says, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So that is a very specific, very um, irresistible call. Jesus calls his sheep, and they hear and they follow him. There isn't any negotiation going on here. And there isn't any substitute for the true shepherd. They know his voice. And it's even more specific than that. When Jesus calls you, it is as if he's calling you by name. It is something that you, you you know when you hear your name in a crowd, you're you're immediately looking around to see who calls you. And if you're looking around and you see that someone who loves you is calling you, you're going to run to that person. Jesus gives us spiritual eyes to see, and he gives us spiritual ears to hear. He brings us to life spiritually so that we can respond to his call. We know our shepherd's voice. Now, it says here that there will be one sheep, one shepherd. This is one of the most surprising and beautiful things that happened in the new testament and it happened so much more quickly and in such a a contrary way to the way the jews thought it was going to happen the jews were expecting a great jewish king to come and that simply by setting up an earthly kingdom and ruling justly and implementing um, his authority over the whole world that The Gentile nations would honor him as king and there would be this kingdom set up on the earth. The way that the Lord had in mind from the beginning of the world was something completely different. He was going to to make us one body by giving us one spirit and by drawing us to one shepherd But it was not the shepherd who would uh, come conquering and setting up an earthly kingdom. But a shepherd who would come dying in place of sinners or sheep who deserved to die. And then taking up his life again. And then drawing his sheep to himself. So that one day he would return and be shepherd of all of his sheep, both Jew and Gentile. Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 11 to 19, sums up this this unity of us all being under one shepherd. And it doesn't use the metaphor of a shepherd, but you can easily make the transition. Just listen to this. And I don't think we have any idea of the enmity that existed between Jews and Gentiles, um, maybe you could pick out two people groups that really hate each other, and try to try to imagine that. But there was, as Paul says in this passage, there was a wall, was a wall of hostility. The Gentiles couldn't even enter into the uh, into the in the uh, real the inner part of the temple. There was a court of the Gentiles, and unless the Gentiles had actually gone through a physical transformation. become Jews, and had submitted to all of the Jewish laws, they couldn't even worship the true God, as they they could be God-fearers, but they they had to go through this whole um, proselytization process. But listen to what Jesus did. Uh, Ephesians 2.11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision... By what is called the circumcision. And they would almost spit when they said that. Because that was, that was a disgusting thing. Uncircumcised. Which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus. You who were once far off. Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So there's the shepherd calling at the door of the fold, but the real active agent in bringing them near is the shedding of the blood of Christ. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people unto me. That means I will draw Jews, I will draw Gentiles. And the way that people recognize the shepherd's voice is the shepherd's voice testifies of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the blood shed for sin. This is the message that will repel everyone who is not a true sheep. It is a message that will draw everyone who is a true sheep. This message that blood, the blood of the perfect Son of God was shed. To atone for, to propitiate, to turn God's wrath away from sin and justify the ungodly. So, but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body. Now that, there is a term of tremendous intimacy, isn't there? To be... Reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you, Gentiles who were far off, and peace to us, Jews who were near, for though we, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, one flock, one shepherd. Now, you, you could see in the Old Testament, the passage that I read from Zechariah, the two, sh- two sticks, one was unity. I actually forget what the other one was. Pardon? Favor, yeah. But they were representing the, the two tribes of Israel, and the, the shepherd broke them. But there's another prophecy of those two sticks being bound back together. So, not only is there a prophesied reunification of Israel, of the two northern and the southern kingdom, but there is this is going beyond anything that most of the, uh, the Jewish scholars would have understood. There will be a, a union that not only will there be one Israel, but that, that one people of God will include the Gentiles. There will be no more hostility. One household of God. One sheepfold of God. That was a, a very radical thought. That was beyond many, many expectations. Alright, let's move on now from Good Shepherd's Call. From Good Shepherd's Choice. You hear a lot of discussion about, about free will. And it seems that people will defend their free will with tooth and nail. Um, ultimately though, when my free will comes up against God's free will, God's free will is going to win out. And what we would like to do is we would like to, as humans, as arrogant and as profane as we are, we would like to give God less freedom in acting than we have ourselves so that if Jesus who owns the sheep has bought the sheep shed his blood for them and calls them out by name that that sheep can of his own free will reject the call of the master or that a sheep that he has not bought that he has not paid for specifically can somehow come to him though he has never called his or her name. God is the one who is free in salvation. And that is bothersome to us because we like to think, well, I, I decided to follow Jesus. Now, we get every one of us did. We decided to follow Jesus when we heard our shepherd's voice. And when we came and we came running, and there was no way that we would turn down the voice because there is something that the shepherd had already instilled in us. To recognize his voice. So it's not a matter of, you know, Jesus stands at the gate. And he says, okay, whoever wants to come follow me, come follow me. He's done work in advance in purchasing sheep for himself. Anyway, we must continue here. The Good Shepherd's Choice. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Now, this is not saying that Jesus had to die on the cross, had to lay down his life in order for the Father to love him. It is just saying that the pattern of Jesus was to act in complete harmony with his Father. He was in the beginning with God, he was God. And this perfect harmony with the father is the root of the father's love for the son. There would be nothing that could dissolve this union between the father and the son. But I would like you to notice the the shepherd's choice here in verse 18. No one takes it No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus laid down his life as an act of his free will. He was not constrained and forced to do this with any kind of unwillingness. As a man in Gethsemane, he cried out, If it is possible, Lord, Father, let this cup be taken from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So as a man, and as a perfect man, he felt the weight of what was about to happen. That he would have the whole sin of all mankind laid upon him. That he would bear that sin to the cross. That he would bear the Father's wrath. That he would bear the Father's rejection. As the sin bearer and as the one who would be made sin for us. Um, So you you hear the human struggle. As Jesus feels the weight of what is upon him. And yet this is not an unwilling act. It is not as as N.T. Wright and and Brian McLaren and others have said. It is not an act of cosmic child abuse father would lay down his son because the son laid his life down freely. He had the power to to lay his life down and the power to take it up again of his own accord. Now what we're getting into here is even more of a unity between the father and the son. There, the father and the son have never and can never be at cross purposes one in, with one another. There is never um, any kind of disagreement or tension between the Father and the Son. When you have a Jesus who is at cross purposes with the Father, who Jesus wants to save everyone, but the Father has already determined who he would save. And yet somehow, so Jesus is trying really hard and he really wants to save everyone in the whole world. And yet the Father has said, I've I've already chosen whom I'm going to save and I'm giving them to you. You have a disjointed, fractured trinity, if that is the case. And that is a God who is less than the God of Scripture. So we see complete unity between Father and Son as the fa- as the Son lays down His life of His own accord. Now, not only was it his accord. His choice. But it was the Father's accord. The Father's choice. They were one in this. Everything planned. From before the foundation of the world. Listen to Acts chapter 4. Verses 23 to 28. This, is, this takes place. Um, right after Peter and John. Had been arrested and released. After they healed the, uh, the crippled man. And he said, "In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk." And the Jews were all upset because he was proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead and <laughs> healing people in the name of Jesus. And they said, "Stop using that name." Well, they were imprisoned. They were released, and this is what uh, what transpired. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and elders had what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it they lifted up their voices together to God and said sovereign lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them keyword there sovereign lord God is in charge he's got the whole world in his hands that's what this is saying who through the mouth of your father of our father david your servant said by the holy spirit Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? So you have all this conspiracy going on. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the anointed, the Lord, and against his anointed, capital A, that is Jesus. For truly in this city, now they're going to interact with this section of Psalm 2. And it's verse 27 of Acts 4, it says, For truly this city... In the city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So you have all of these people conspiring and raging. Against the Lord and against his anointed one. Yet at the same time it is whatever his hand and whatever his plan had ordained or predestined to take place. And the Father and the Son are completely one in this. There is no division. It is the Father's own accord. It is the Son's own accord. And they are one in spirit and purpose. There is no division within the Trinity so that is the good shepherd's choice Jesus was not a victim he laid down his life intentionally in order to save his sheep and finally we have number five the good shepherd's charge this charge I have received from the Father this is the work that the Father has given me to do This is the work that was finished when Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. This charge I have, I'm going to lay down my life of my own accord. I'm going to lay it down and I'm going to take it up again. This is how I am going to draw all men to myself. I want you to hear a little bit about the Good shepherd's charge, the, father, the father's charge given to the son. Now this is a commandment. The son is obeying the father. So there is, there is a, um, a hierarchy as far as authority. But this is not saying that the son is less than the father. The father and the son are one. Isaiah 53. You'll recognize this passage. Surely He, that is Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. There is someone laying His body down, laying His life down. Why is He laying His life down? Does this relate to what we've been talking about so far, about the Good Shepherd and and laying down his life? Isaiah 53, 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. There's our free will kicking in. Those are the limitations of human free will. We do not turn to God. We go astray. We find reasons to run from God. But the Lord has laid on him, on his anointed one, on his shepherd, the iniquity of us all. Now it gets a little bit more specific about the shepherd's charge, the commandment, the will of the Father. In verse 10 of Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Did you know it was also the will of the son to be crushed? He he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That means... He's going to lay down his life, his soul will make an offering for guilt, and yet he shall see his offspring. There is a veiled reference to the resurrection, him laying his life down and taking it up again to see his offspring. You don't see your offspring when you're still dead. okay? You're going to, he's going to see his offspring and will prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities so there you have the father's charge it was the father's will to crush him it was the son's will to be crushed he laid his life down freely for the sheep that had gone astray All the wanderings, all of the failings, all of the missing of the mark, all of the perverting of God's justice, all of those iniquities were laid upon Jesus and paid for on the cross. Now these, and I don't see many people getting angry listening to this, but these words that call us Sheep, which are basically woolly lemmings, they you know what a lemming does? One goes off after a cliff, and they all follow, and they all go over a cliff. Sheep are kind of like that, except sheep go their own way, and they're they're stupid. They get lost. They def- they don't have any way of defending themselves. Uh, they're 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 quite helpless without a shepherd. People don't like to think of themselves that way. And people don't like to think that someone has to die on their behalf. That blood has to be shed in order to prevent their blood being shed. So it's no wonder that the reaction that Jesus received from the people, there was again a division among the Jews because of the word of these words. The last words that Jesus said is, if "No one takes my life from me; I lay it down of my accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to keep it up to take it up again." Now let's let's just be fair. If uh, it doesn't matter who picture any great religious leader in this world started to say, you know what, I'm going to die, I'm going to lay down my life, and I'm going to raise myself from the dead. We would probably think they were a lunatic. We generally think people are lunatics when they start saying that they're God, or that, you know, that they're the Michael the Archangel. I, I've been in a church service where someone stood up and said they were Michael the Archangel. The person had some serious mental problems. So, some of them thought Jesus was demon-possessed. Now, if anyone had been truly listening though, and had seen the works that he had done and was not blinded by their own self-will and their own self-righteousness, they would never say that. So, this is exactly the division. There was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? This is what people think of Christians. This is what people think when the gospel is proclaimed. What some people think. The wisdom of the cross is foolishness. To whom? To them that perish. But to us who believe. its wisdom, its power, salvation. Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We started with this quote from C.S. Lewis about Jesus being either liar, lunatic, or a lord. If Jesus is the good shepherd, as he says he is, then his sheep will will follow him despite what others are saying. Being completely convinced that he speaks the truth and that he is the truth. If people are mocking Jesus, calling him a lunatic, calling him a liar, Maybe even saying he's evil. That is no deterrent to those who truly hear his voice, to those who know that he is the one who gives sight to the blind. So I ask you today, do you hear the shepherd's voice? And what does that voice sound like? Is it the voice of a liar? of a lunatic, or of the Lord. Whatever you think there are severe, or there are very important consequences to how you receive that voice. See if you hear the shepherd's voice in this scripture, and I'll close with this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. As we are about to receive communion... We're going to have portrayed before us Christ crucified, the blood, the cup representing the blood shed, the bread representing the body nailed to the cross. These things, given as emblems to us for the the life that Jesus gave up for us, life he laid down for us. This is uh, the basis of our communion of our fellowship. Uh, so I would encourage us all to. Observe this in a very humble way, and to understand that when we eat this together, we drink this together, it is one of the most vivid pictures of the unity of the Father and Son and the Spirit in the eternal covenant of redemption and of all of us who are drawn into that covenant. So I'm to do, I guess uh, Kevin and I will just do this together. I think we'll distribute these. And I'll just read the words of the institution as relayed by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <laughs> Receive from the Lord what is delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after the supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to ask Kevin if you would just give thanks now for the, actually, we'll distribute the bread first and then we'll give thanks. Mm-hmm.